and it is it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live at Joy 620 or you are listening to the podcast at investinghope.com. Tune in, uh, let's see, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, wherever, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. And we're, we're grateful for that. I'll be honest, I've been off for a couple of weeks. I haven't done this show, I think, in two weeks, maybe three uh, been, I, I filled in for Bob Bell, uh, Jason Hayes and, and me, we, we took over for Bob Bell last week. And then, uh, we did the between Sunday show. So if you listen to joy 620 on the regular, uh, then you know that on Tuesday at five o'clock, I do the show for hope resource center. And on Wednesday at five o'clock, I joined my pastor, Jason Hayes of shoreline church for a show called between Sundays, where we talk about life and culture between Sundays because it's on Wednesday and so it makes sense. And so uh that's what we do, but I have been off. I took some time off for Christmas and the New Year. And uh hopefully you miss me. I don't know. Hopefully hopefully you are ready to go. We're we're going to talk about a couple things today. We're going to look at some new data out of Texas concerning abortion. We're also going to talk about uh year end and really just kind of look at 2020 as a whole and see uh, what that means, what that looks like for pregnancy centers, at, at the very least, what that looked like for Hope Resource Center here in Knoxville. And then uh, we'll just kind of chat uh, from there. But first, I want to start with uh, what did 2020 mean? What did it uh, when you when you look back, when you look back at 2020, is that going to be uh, fond memories? Is it going to be uh, terrible memories? Is it going to be somewhere in between? Is is that the year that your business did really well? Is that the year your business closed? Is that the year your marriage flourished? Is that the year your marriage struggled? Is that the year you started working from home and you really enjoyed it? Is that the year you got to spend more time with your family around the dinner table or the kitchen table or the living room or the TV? Is, is that the year you bought an RV or a camper and you, you got to travel more? Or is it the year you lost a loved one? To the pandemic. And so the, the interesting thing about 2020 is COVID has touched everybody a little bit different from business owners to family members. I mean, even, even within my family, the, the dichotomy within my family and experiences with COVID is represents the country as a whole. Now, what do I mean by that? Back a few months ago, my brother, uh, his, his son and daughter were sent home from school. One, his son is a senior in high school. His daughter, I believe eighth grade, ninth grade, somewhere around in there. They got sent home from school because my, my niece's boyfriend tested positive for COVID. Well, my niece's boyfriend also shared a, a locker with my nephew who he played football with. So they shared a locker together. So my niece and nephew got sent home because they were directly exposed to someone that tested positive. So then my niece and nephew had to get tested. They tested positive for COVID. Never showed a symptom. My brother had to get tested because of his work. Tested positive, never showed a symptom. And so when they talk about the virus, they talk about their real life experience that, that meant no symptoms, no sickness. They, they tested positive, but that really was the, uh, the brunt of it. Well, then just this past week, my granddaddy was taken by ambulance. He's 88 years old. He'll be 88 soon. Was taken by ambulance 
because his oxygen level got so low because he tested positive for COVID, taken by ambulance to the hospital. And we were concerned, super concerned. My grandmama will be 88 this month, I believe, tested positive. My aunt tested positive. My other aunt tested positive. They had multiple children test positive. My uncle tested positive. Now, my aunt was really, really sick, didn't have to go to the hospital. My granddaddy, again, was in the hospital. I talked to him uh, a number of times, and, and he was concerned and scared, as all of us were. And he has seen his his friends. He lives in a small community, unincorporated community in Middle Tennessee. And, and he has seen friends of his lose their life in 2020 to, to COVID. And so when he talks about the virus, he, he's going to talk about his real life experience with it. And it was uh, hard, scary, concerning. But as of right now, he's home and doing well, doing better. My grandmama never went to the hospital and she's doing better. And so for some of us, we're going to look back at 2020 and we're going to say things like, yeah, it gave me a chance to be with my family more. Some of us are going to look back at 2020 and say, I lost my, my wife. I lost my husband. I lost my son. I lost uh, somebody that I went to church with. Some people are going to say, I lost my pastor to COVID. Some people are going to look back at 2020 and say, that's the year I got married. That's the year my first child was born. That's the year my business flourished. That's the year my business closed. And so I bring all that up to say that we have taken, we have taken the, the issue of COVID and it's not even an issue. It's a virus that's affecting everybody, but we've made it a political issue. And because we've made it a political issue, we can't even talk rationally and logically about real life experiences that people have had with it. Or you may find yourself, you may re- reflect back and go, 2020 was a great year. I got to spend more time with my family. And you, you may find yourself wanting to apologize for that. You shouldn't have to apologize for that. And, and so I, I wanted to bring that up because what I want to also let you know is 2020 for a lot of people, they no one really knew what that was going to look like. Financially, I know nonprofits that closed their doors because their funds dried up because of the pandemic. Hope Resource Center, we haven't done all the final tallying yet, but it appears as of right now, we are about to have the best fiscal year we've ever had. And if not ever, at the very least, it's been the best fiscal year we've had since I've been there. And I've been there, it'll be six years in May. And so if you'd have, if you'd have told me when we decided to, to take our banquet virtual back in April, and if you'd have set me down and said, Andrew, what do you feel like the year is going to hold for Hope Resource Center? I would have said, I'm concerned. I don't know. I know businesses are closing. I know people are staying home. I know people are unemployed. And when you work at a nonprofit, at a ministry, you depend on the funds of others. You're not selling a product. And so because we're not selling a product that generates revenue and because the very essence of what we do is serving patients and charging them nothing. So the more patients we see, the more money we spend, but we don't make any money off those patients. So we need people to rally around us and, and, and to donate. 
And back in April, I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. Virtual banquet came and went, and it ended up being one of the best banquets we've ever had. So then we got to the summertime. And it was like, well, I don't know. I don't, you know, hopefully the virus will go away in the summertime and we can get back to normal. Well, that didn't happen. So then we get to the battle of the bottles in the fall. Well, we can't hand out bottles to to schools because people are concerned about, you know, transferring change and, and, and filling up the bottles. So what did we do? We, we moved our battle of the bottles to a virtual event. Never done that before. How are people going to respond to a virtual event? How are they going to respond to, quote unquote, filling bottles when they don't have bottles to fill? How are they going to respond when I go and speak at a chapel and I say, hey, we want you to fill these bottles up, but we want you to do it virtually. So the students didn't have anything to take home except maybe a letter to their parents. But I didn't know. But we trusted and we had faith that the Lord would provide. And we said, "Okay, we will look to see what a virtual battle of the bottles will look like. And. I'll have you know, and I've said it on here, that it ended up being the best battle of the bottles we've ever had. Raised close to $26,000. And it was amazing. So then we shift and we say, okay, we got our golf tournament coming up. This is one event that happens outside. We can have our golf tournament outside. So we still had the golf tournament. We set a goal for a, a certain number uh, of, of funds raised. We missed that goal by just a, a tad, but we had a better year this year than we did last year financially then we had our 5k 10k to look at well that's an outside event but it's going to be a lot of people not sure how that's going to go so we ended up moving our our 5k 10k our run with hope to a virtual event we have people participate all over the country we had the the best participation ever didn't raise as as much funds as as we might have liked but it, it did okay then i'm driving around a golf cart on during the golf tournament and I get an email saying that our lab costs are, are no longer going to be done in kind. And what that means is about seventy to $75,000 that we weren't really prepared to raise needed to be raised for the coming year. So I made up my mind while I'm driving around that golf cart not to freak out. Just say, okay, 2020, we're going to roll with the punches. We're going to trust that God is going to provide. I'm going to send a letter out tomorrow. I'm going to talk about it on this show, and I did talk about it, and, and you you heard that. We sent a letter out to to our supporters and said, hey, look, these things happen. We've been told that our lab costs are no longer going to be done in kind. I need to raise $70,000, $75,000. Well, guess what, folks? You met that. Actually, we raised $80,000 from that letter. And now we're looking at year-end, and we mailed out our year-end pieces and and just have been blown away. I mean, blown away at your response. Right now, as I sit here, and I'm going to talk about this more in the coming days on on social media and other places. But if you, if you add our lab letter, the letter, the letter that I sent in our year end piece that we sent, we're inching close to right here at the year end. I'm, I'm talking between October and December. Between October, listen to this, between October and December alone, not looking at the rest of the year, just October to December 31st, we've raised just in those months close to $340,000. 
So it's interesting. If you'd have asked me back in April, hey, when we get to December, when we get on into January, do you believe that 2020 will be one of the best fiscal years Hope has ever seen in terms of partners donating and, and standing with you? What would my answer have been in April? I would have said, I'm going to do everything in my power to to keep us where we need to be. But I, I probably, if I was honest, I probably wouldn't have said, yeah, I think it's going to be the best ever. No, because, because I at times, you know, we, we, we think we have control of all this. And, and, and in my limited uh, mind and faith, frankly, I would have said, look, we're just going to do the best we can. We're not going to try to, uh, you know, surprise anyone or, or blow anyone away. I just want to get through this year. And the Lord provided above and beyond what we needed and what we asked for. And that's because of people like you. Look, you know, I was I was at a church, Black Oak Heights Baptist Church, this past Sunday, speaking uh, about the work that we're doing, and and I told them, and I, I tell a church every time I go to any church, sometimes it's cliche in ministry to say, "Hey, we can't do this work without you," but I, I it's not cliche to us. Like quite literally, we cannot do the work without you. The patients that we serve today would have not have been would not have been served. Had you not given, had you not prayed, had you not stepped up with us. The ultrasounds, the, the pregnancy tests, the, the baby showers, all, and the list goes on and on. All of those things that we are able to provide would not happen without you. All the dollars that we raised in 2020 and all the dollars that we've raised since 1997 have given Life as an option to these patients. Just in, in 2020, that's close to 2,000 patients that we were able to serve. Even in, in a pandemic year, we were able to provide 72 baby showers. We called them drive-through baby showers. They, they would drive into the parking lot. We would carry the stuff out, put it in the car, and then they would leave. Not ideal, not what we'd like to do. But still, we provided 72 baby showers. And so I don't know what 2020, when you reflect back, I don't know what it is for you. Was it a sweet time, terrible time, a year you couldn't wait to get out of? I don't know. But but all I would challenge us, I would challenge all of us to simply not say, the worst year ever. Can't wait to, to, you know, couldn't get to 2021 fast enough. I think at times we want to chalk things up as a loss and we miss out on all the good. Even in the midst of some of the bad, we miss out on the good that happened. And I'm just letting you know that at Hope, we are blown away at your generosity and your partnership and your support. And, it, and it's just amazing. We'll talk more when we come back. As we continue the conversation, right now I want to shift a little bit and talk about some news out of Texas and uh, some recent data that has come out that I think is important for us to, to know and be aware of. Uh, this is an article written by Michael New over at National Review, and, and his stuff is great, great pro-life activist and, uh, and, and author. And so I would encourage you to, to look him up. 
Uh, but he says this, last week the Texas Health and Human Services Commission released abortion data for 2018 and 19. The new data should, should concern pro-lifers as they indicate that the incidence of abortion in Texas increased in both years. Between 17 and 2019, the abortion rate in the Lone Star State increased by approximately 5%. During the same period, the incidence of abortion increased across nearly every racial and age category in the state. The data are broadly consistent with the new data from the Centers for Disease Control, which showed a slight increase in the U.S. abortion rate between 2017 and 2018. It is difficult to determine exactly why the abortion rate in Texas increased after a consistent long-term decline lasting more than 30 years. One possible explanation is that it has become easier for Texas women to obtain chemical abortions early in the pregnancy. In 2016, Texas was one of three states to require that physicians administering chemical abortion drugs follow the FDA label. However, in 2016, the FDA updated the labeling for the abortion drug uh, allowing chemical abortions to be obtained later in pregnancy with fewer visits to the physician's office. It seemed to make a difference. Between 2017 and 19, the number of chemical abortions obtained by Texas women increased by about 32%. That is insane. That's very high. One bright spot in the new data is that the abortion rate among minors in Texas has continued to decline. Overall, the rate of abortions among minors in the state fell by more than 3%, between 2017 and 2019, and since 2010, it has fallen by a whopping 71%. This information is significant because in 2010, Texas removed Planned Parenthood from the state's family planning program. Public health professionals criticized this decision sharply, claiming that the rate of teen pregnancy would skyrocket. Uh, to the contrary, the significant long-term decline in both the minor birth rate and abortion rate demonstrates that positive public health trends can continue without requiring taxpayers to fork over millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood. There are plenty of reasons for Texas pro-lifers to remain hopeful. During the past 20 years, Texas has been a national leader in enacting laws protective of pre-born children. Since 2000, a pro-life parental consent law, an informed consent law, and a 20-week abortion ban have all gone into effect in the state. The Texas state legislature has increased funding for the state quote, alternatives to abortion program, which provides millions of dollars annually to assist pregnancy help centers. Uh, these efforts have paid off. According to the uh, Guttmacher Institute data, the state abortion rate has fallen by almost 70 percent between 1981 and 2017. Even so, these new data show that some of this long-term progress may, un let's see, may undone by the, the increased availability of chem chemical abortions. As always, pro-lifers would do well to be diligent. And so the important thing about this article and about what's happening in Texas and what may be happening in other states, this is now what, what uh, pro-abortion folks will say is, see, you, you, you pass pro-life laws and it doesn't affect anything. You actually see an increase in abortion because then they would argue that they're, they're actually for seeing abortion numbers go down, which they're not because nothing they do shows that. Uh, but, but, the reality is this goes back to do we want to see pro-life laws passed? 100% I'm behind that. Do I put all of my hope in pro-life laws or in courts or in legislatures or in governors? No. No. And so we're not going to see a true shift until we see abortion become unthinkable. You remember not so long ago, 
you would go to a restaurant and what would they ask you? Would you like to sit in the smoking section or the non-smoking section? That was normal. And you'd go, I'll sit in the non-smoking section. And then they would sit you right next to the smoking section and maybe have uh, paneling separating you or lattice separating you, which didn't really do anything. That was normal. If you'd asked me when I was a kid, do you ever see a day where there won't be a smoking section? I would say, no. Why? I mean, of course not. Now, you don't see that anywhere. There's even some bars that are like, yeah, you can come drink, but you can't smoke. Can't go into state buildings and smoke. And so to simply say it, it's never going to happen isn't good enough. Now, now, did that make people stop smoking? No. But but you have to see these changes happen slowly. And again, until we get to a place where abortion is unthinkable, we're not going to see these numbers drop. Until we get to a place where we say, hey, that's a life inside the womb, a unique individual life never before created, never created and would never be created again, then we're not going to get to a place where we see the numbers continue to go down. We're just not. Look, Washington and your your state legislator, your state capitals will will want you to think this is a pure political issue. It's not. That's part of it. But we can pass laws all day long. But this is a hard issue. Believe me, I want to see laws passed. But this is a hard issue. Is it a life or not? Is it your neighbor or not? And until we grasp that, then people are going to buy the, the abortion pill. Because they're in denial. And a lot of times the doctors aren't telling them what's going on. A lot of times doctors aren't sitting down with them and saying, do you, you do understand this is a human with its own DNA, with its own brain, with, the, with its own heartbeat. And if you make this decision, this, this human isn't going to get a chance at life. A chance that you were able to receive. You see, when, when we try to make this out to be a political issue or when we try to make this out to be a feminism issue or uh, a social issue, then we look at it from a uh, bird's eye view. And when you're looking at it from a bird's eye view, you, you, you're not looking at it as this is a human that deserves a chance at life. You're looking at this as an issue. Women should be able to choose. Our feminism would say not only women should be able to choose, but women should be able to uh, carve their own path in life. And this might keep them from achieving certain goals. Well, see, when, when we see this from a bird's eye view, then what we are doing is we're taking out the individual uniquely made human growing inside of the womb. And then we say, okay, we're being part of a larger agenda. We're being part of a larger narrative and it's worth it because I can achieve this or I can do that or 
Uh, or if I take this pill now, then, you know, no one's hurt over it. I can always have another kid one day. You know, see, see, this is the mindset that happens. We, we start to talk ourselves into these things. We start to justify these things. But you see, as long as we're screaming from our political corners, then we're going to be able to justify a lot of things. It's not healthy, it's not sustainable, but that's what we're going to do. And so I'm bothered by the numbers out of Texas. But again, I've been saying this for years on this show. I said it on the steps of the Supreme Court. We do not put our hope in the person in the Oval Office. We do not put our hopes in nine men and women in black robes on the courts. We won't see abortion truly go away until we admit that it's unthinkable. That it shouldn't happen. Now, when will that happen? I'm not sure. Hopefully soon. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we continue the show, look, the reason I wanted to talk about that last segment is, you know, we're, we're at an interesting place in, in time where uh, everything, everything is political. And, and I'll admit, I probably, uh, I, I probably have helped in, in putting things in that direction. I mean, if you go back and listen to past shows, uh, there's certain, uh, you know, certainly we, we talk politics on here. We've had politicians on here. We talk about the issues that are happening around our country and around the world when it comes to, uh, abortion, when it comes to legislation, because those things matter. But right now, I, I want to say that again, Legislation isn't the be-all, end-all. It's part of it. It's important. But why are we pro-life? Why are we anti-abortion? Why? Is it because we're Republican? Is it, is it because we're conservative? Is it because we're part of Democrats for Life? Is it because we're feminist? Like, it, how would you answer that? Why are you pro-life? And I'm afraid that for many of us, the response would be a political leaning. Well, it's because I'm conservative and I'm just pro, that, that's what pro, you know, that's what conservatives are, they're pro-life. But, but it, for, for Christians, why, why are we pro-life? How should we answer that question? Well, we're pro-life because we believe that every human bears the image of God. Everyone. And so if we believe that every human bears the image of God, where did every human find its origin? Where did you get your start? Did you just appear one day? No. Psalm 139 tells us you were knitted together in your mother's womb. Scripture tells us before the first star was in the sky, God knew you. He knows the hairs on your head. 
You see, so, so those are, that's why we're pro-life. Because abortion offends a holy God. And so I, I'm afraid that for some of us, especially over the last couple years, especially during this last election, we might have lost sight of why we are pro-life or why we care about certain issues. Why do they matter to us? And I get it. Look, I've been there. We we love being part of a team. And so whether that team is red or whether that team is blue, we love being part of a team. We love being part of a winning team. And so, you know, we, we get into this team, this tribe mindset. And then we can't have rational conversations. But for Christians, this is a gospel issue. I, I said this at, at the church on Sunday. I said, you know, is this a social issue? Yes, we should care about our neighbors and the vulnerable in our society. Is it a political issue? Yes, we should care about the laws that are on the books that protect the vulnerable in our society. Is it a neighbor issue? Yes, we should love our neighbor. But if it's only those things, then we might see some lives saved, but we might see millions damned to hell because it's not a gospel issue for us. It's a political, a neighbor, a social issue for us. But if it's a gospel issue, then to our core, we're pro-life because God is. We're pro-life because we believe God creates life. So, so when we have these conversations, when we think about what that means for us moving forward, what gets our blood boiling? What gets us riled up? Is it the political issues of the day or is it the things that, that we've been called by God to participate in? Where, where's our passion? Where, where's our motivation? What's our why? Is it because we want to see our party win? Uh, we want to see our party be the best? Is it because we want to see our platform expand? Is it, wanna, is it because we want, we want to be a celebrity? Is it because we want to, to be right? We want to win an argument? You can win a lot of arguments. I think, I think in today's world, everyone walks away from the argument believing they won. So, so you may have an argument with somebody about mask. Regardless of where you fall on that, you're going to walk away feeling like you won and they're going to walk away feeling like they won. You, you may have an argument with somebody about this past election. Did Joe Biden really win? There's going to be people that say he did. There's going to be people that say absolutely not. He'll never be my president. He's Ill- illegitimate. And both of those folks are going to walk away believing they won. And, and where does that leave us? Does that advance the ball down the field at all? Is that sustainable? Are we at a time and place where every four years one side is going to say the other side is illegitimate? I think we're there. Is that sustainable? No. Do people care? 
Probably not. And so what's our worldview? Because our worldview matters when it comes to abortion. Now, now there'll be pro-abortion folks that think I'm crazy and that I believe in some fairy in the sky when I say that I'm pro-life because I believe the God of the universe creates life. And every human bears the image of God. Therefore, I must, as a Christian, be pro-life. Must. In the same way that in Matthew 28, we are commanded to go and make disciples. Telling the world about Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like We, we are commanded to do that. And in the same way, if we believe God is the author of life, then that requires something of us, right? And so as we, as we enter into a new year, what my focus is this year is to get back to a place of making sure that my, my worldview is defined in, in my identity in Christ. And, and what's going to happen with that? That means you are going to upset some folks. And if you're conservative, some of the conservatives are going to be upset with you. If you're liberal, some of the liberals are going to be upset with you. Look, that's just, that's just the way it is. So, so with a, with a biblical worldview, it either, life either matters or it doesn't. You know, some people say, well, it's not that easy. It's not that black and white. No, it really is. It really is. And so, again, people don't like that. But we have, uh, we have golden calves in our life. I was speaking to Luann on the staff just yesterday, and she made a great point. And she said, for some of us, abortion is our golden calf. Now think about that. For a Christian to be anti-abortion is not wrong. But is it your golden calf? Is it your idol? And so that's hard. You know, what's what's concerned me over the last year and a half is I've seen a lot of pro-life activists turn into political activists. Now, some may argue that, that I'm a political activist when it comes to abortion. Yeah, th- that's part of what I do. But first and foremost, I'm just anti-abortion. That's really what I speak to. It's what I write about. Do I have opinions on taxes? Yeah. Do I have opinions on masks? Do I have opinions on COVID? Do I have opinions on, on the way government handles other things? Absolutely. But whatever platform I'm given, I'm going to focus it on alerting people to the atrocity that is abortion. But what I've seen over the last year or two is folks shifting a little bit and, and now they're speaking out on these other issues. They're using the platform that they've been given and they're going other directions with it. Now, is that right or wrong? I'm not sure. It concerns me. I 
I'm nervous about a platform. I'm nervous about it. Because I know how my ego is. And so our, what are we doing? What, what's the focus? And when we talk about the issue of abortion, we have to allow ourselves to say, first and foremost, I'm, I'm anti-abortion and pro-life because of my biblical worldview, because of my identity in Christ, and not because I'm team GOP or team DNC. And that's hard. And I know it's hard. I've even had to make some shifts in, in my listening habits to certain shows. Why? Because it, it takes me down a path of idolatry when it comes to politics. It's a dangerous place. That's all I'm saying. Just be aware of those things. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up today, hopefully you have enjoyed the show. And we covered a couple things. Uh, but, but, you know, as we, again, as we look to a new year, what are we, what are we looking for? Where's our hope? Are you down in the dumps about inauguration day and what that's going to look like? And who's being inaugurated? Does that keep you up at night? Does it, uh, you know, make you sleep in late? Does it, does it weigh on you heavy? Maybe it does. I've been there. But, but that's the danger of putting our hope in an Oval Office. It's, it, it's, that's the danger of it. And so, so I would simply say just, you know, caution you. I would caution you in that. Look, we, we've made huge strides in the, the pro-life movement. You know, half a million or so people will gather here in a couple weeks in Washington, D.C. to march for life. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of good things happening. But we must be careful with the marriage between politics and the pro-life movement. We need each other. That marriage needs to stay strong. But we can't put our all of our eggs in the in the in the political basket because it's going to fail you. It's going to disappoint you. If you put all your eggs in the politician basket, they will disappoint you and they will fail you. If you put all your eggs in the Oval Office basket, they will disappoint you and they will fail you. But you know who's not going to disappoint you or fail you? Who always going to be faithful? Who was good yesterday, today, and forever? The God of the universe. So which one are you going to carry into 2021? Which one? I, I saw a post the other day about how uh, they, were, they were real angry because the president, in their mind, hadn't shown enough, enough empathy when it comes to people losing their life to COVID. And he hasn't done enough. He hasn't done enough. Uh, speeches and shown that he's really upset and and shown that he cares. Look, if, if you put your hope in the person in the Oval Office, then those things are going to bother you greatly. Well, why isn't he saying this or why isn't he doing that or why aren't they, you know, fill in the blank? Again, that that's a 
it's not it's not a great place to be because they're going to fail you. They will. When when I got the 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 phone call that my granddad who was positive with COVID when I got the phone call that his oxygen level was at a point where they needed to call an ambulance and they took him to the hospital. My first thought wasn't, I wish the president would show more concern. My first thought wasn't, I wonder what the president would do in this moment. My first thought wasn't, man, I'm glad president Trump did X. No, my first thought was I'm going to pray to the God of the universe and I'm going to, I'm going to put that in his, in his hands. If it goes the way I want it to, then awesome. If it doesn't, I'm going to mourn, but I trust God in that moment. When I had that first phone call with my granddad while he's in the hospital and he, and he tells me, he calls me Drew. He said, Drew, I, I, uh, I didn't think I was going to make it back home. I left my glasses. I left my phone. I left my teeth at home. And he said, uh, I think this is a way, I, I think, the bit, he didn't say God. He said the big man, but I knew what he's talking about, is trying to tell us to get our life right. Me and my granddad disagree when it comes to politics. Did I say, granddaddy, you know, if you'd have voted a certain way, none of this would have happened? No. I said, yeah, we, we do need to get our life right. Because I don't know what the next few days holds, hold for you. And I said, but once we get on the other side of this, we'll get to sit down and have those conversations that we've had. And my granddad said, we've had a lot of great conversations on that carport, haven't we? They have a carport that connects to their house. And I said, yes, we have. You see, in in those moments, it doesn't matter who's in the Oval Office. It doesn't matter who sits on the Supreme Court. those, Those things in that moment in time, that couldn't have been further from my mind. What, what was on my mind in that moment was I want my granddaddy to be better, better. And I'm going to pray to God for his care. And so we can get upset. And, and if our hope is in the person in Washington, then you're going to get upset. They're going to fail you regardless of what party you're affiliated with. So all I would say is in 2021, let's, let's focus on that biblical worldview. What's our identity? Why are we pro-life? Is it because of the gospel or is it because of our political team? Let's think through that and really wrestle with that. And I think we'll be better for it. We'll talk more to you next week.